Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. This one is back in the news. This is a story that continues to come around again and again, and it, I'm glad that it does. I mean, I hope it never – I would love to see it never come back, uh, but it, I'm glad it keeps coming up to remind people that this is going on. And what I'm talking about here is the fact that Customs, uh, Border Patrol, CBP as they are called today, mm-hmm. they are imaging your devices. That means copying. They're copying your devices at a massive scale, according to a report over at MSN.com. This is something that has happened to me uh, as I was coming back into the United (laughs) States a few years ago. And it apparently has been happening thousands of times, over 10,000 times, apparently. 37,000, in fact, in the 12 months ending in October of 2021 CBP conducted roughly roughly 37,000 searches of travelers' devices. So we're talking about laptops, we're talking about cell phones, uh, whatever devices you have on you when you're coming back into the United States. They don't do it when you're leaving. Hmm. It's always when you're coming back. Now, were some of these um, actually just searches, or were these all just outright data theft? Well, they do... I think all of the above, right? Or they can do all of the I mean, right. how is it not a if search? They image, if they image your device, then it's more than a search. It's yeah. data theft. Yeah, definitely more than a search. Well, I suspect you won't be able to get them on any kind of charges uh, or liability mm. for that theft of that data. Oh, no. no. Oh, no. no. They're, uh, the, the government is irresponsible for everything that it does. They would just argue that imaging the device allows them to do a better search because then they can <laughs> search later on and they can use forensic uh, technology on it rather than just mm. eyeballing through your pictures or your files or whatever it is mm. that they would do. And they can search. search for years, years later for things that they don't even think are relevant now. So the story here from Drew Harwell, uh, they say that the government officials are adding data from as many as 10,000 electronic devices each year. OK, so that's where the 10,000 number came from to a massive database they've compiled from cell phones, iPads and computers seized from travelers at the country's airports, seaports and border crossings. Leaders of Customs and Border Protection told congressional staff in a briefing this summer, the rapid expansion of the database and the ability of 2,700 CBP officers to access it without a warrant, two details not previously known about the database, have raised alarms in Congress about what use the government has made of the information, much of which is captured from people not suspected of any crime. The details of the database were revealed Thursday in a letter to CPB Commissioner Chris Magnus from Senator Ron Wyden, who criticized the agency for, quote, allowing indiscriminate rifling through Americans' private records, unquote, and called for stronger privacy protections. The revelations add to a new detail to what's known about the expanding ways that federal investigators use technology that many Americans may not understand or consent to. Agents from the FBI and Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, another Department of Homeland Security agency, have run facial recognition searches on millions of Americans' driver's license photos. They've tapped private databases of people's financial and utility records to learn where they live, and they've gleaned location data from license plate reader databases that can be used to track where people drive. I mean, we are talking about an Orwellian panopticon that we are basically living in. They know where you are at all times and they know who you are and all the technology is in place for this and and the scary thing if you've been sleeping they know (laughs) if you're awake the scary thing is the government does not make it easy to opt out of either Mm -hmm. um there are certain things you can absolutely do like encrypt your devices when crossing the border or not even take those devices or um some other things that you know that are almost impossible to get out of is providing the government your address um, because at least on certain tax forms, you have to give them your physical address under right. certain circumstances. They need to know where to go if they want to snatch you up. Yep. Or um, if you if you own a house property, um, that's also very hard to avoid. You know, informing or ending up in some sort of database with your name attached to it. It's not impossible, but it's it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, some places it might be almost impossible, like New York City. Uh, but probably New Hampshire, it's a little bit easier because you can set up some LLCs or I don't know, some other sorts of entities to, you know, but if you're purchasing a house and you have to have a mortgage in your name, 
that becomes a problem because then you're in another database. Right. So, and you may not be able to purchase a house with a mortgage at that point. So, and now if you've crossed the border uh, and come back into the United States and they took your phone from you and they took your laptop from you and they went away with it, if you didn't get to see where they went, you better believe they took it into another room where they likely plugged it into one of these, uh, I don't know what you call them, rippers or whatever. They just connect to the device and then just take the entire yeah, hard drive hard disk and imaging it. Devices. Yeah, image it. Mm. Uh, that's what they can do. Some people have to travel internationally for their job or whatever. I mean, obviously, you can just never leave the United States and then you never have to deal with this. But for people that do leave, maybe they're going on a vacation. It could be a real nasty surprise if you're not aware that this thing hap- this thing can happen to you. Mm-hmm. And it can happen to you. Don't don't think for a moment that, oh, well, yeah, I don't have anything to hide. I'm a good law-abiding citizen. Well, do you know what all the laws are? <laughs> yeah. Have you yeah. Have you ever read them? You're breaking them all the time. Yeah. I suspect you are unaware of most of the laws that you are breaking and uh, what is he, the book? Somebody wrote a book about it, Three Felonies, Three felonies a Day, a day yep. uh, written by uh, an attorney, as I understand it. So you can do your research on that if you want to. But the fact is, they're very interested in who you are and what you're doing, and they want to know all about it. And even if you aren't doing something that you consider to be illegal, well, they may consider it to be illegal, mm-hmm. or they may just want to get into your business for whatever yeah. reason. And, you know, an example of something that might seem innocent to you that's actually a federal felony, Mm. maybe you used a can of Raid and you didn't hold it exactly 12 inches (laughs) away from the wall. Well, guess what? You violated the labeling instructions Mm -hmm. and that's a felony. Yeah, there there are there is a tool that you may be able to use um, called Onion Share. Ooh. Um, which Does that have to do with Tor. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's connected. It's well, I don't want to say it is. It, yeah, it uses Tor, hmm. um, basically, and basically it enables you to share files, um, even potentially create websites and things of that nature, um, using Tor. And unlike the cloud, you're in full control of it. So, meaning you're sharing with your own device somewhere else, meaning yeah. that you've got a home computer, say, running this software. Yep. And then on your other device, your laptop or your cell phone, you may have an instance of that running, and that allows transfer between them without yeah, exactly. It makes it an easy. intermediary. It basically exactly it mm-hmm. makes it easy to um, share your files, you know, without, without having to stop port forwarding or do anything complicated. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and and it's using Tor technology. And it's using Tor, and, and one of the reasons I bring this up is because normally, if you use the cloud, well, guess what? You also are, you are also giving the government access to your data. CPB's inspection of people's phones, laptops, tablets, and other electronic devices as they enter the country has long been a controversial practice. The agency has defended as a low-impact way to pursue possible security threats and determine an individual's, quote, intentions upon entry, unquote, into the United States. But the revelation that thousands of agents have access to a searchable database without public oversight is a new development in what privacy advocates and some lawmakers warn could be an infringement of Americans' Fourth Amendment rights against unreasonable searches and seizures. Could be. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, CPB spokesman Lawrence Rusty Payne said in a statement Thursday, the agency conducts border searches of electronic devices in accordance with statutory and regulatory authorities. See, they're just following the law. You know, it, it might be one thing to look for some sort of illicit, I don't know, substance or something of that nature. But your data? I mean, that, that's like a whole nother you know, level of tyranny there. Hmm. The database known as the Automated Targeting System. That sounds friendly. Hmm. Automated Targeting System is used to, quote, further review, analyze, and assess information CPB obtained from electronic devices associated with individuals who are of a significant law enforcement, counterterrorism, or national security concern. You know, like those libertarians in uh, New Hampshire. (laughs) (laughs) Or those conservatives that had their, uh, they were targeted by the IRS, I believe it was, um, during, Mm -hmm. uh, I forget, one of these these, uh, regimes. Well, right now, a lot of the conservatives are being targeted, those who are connected with Trump. For instance, uh, yep. Mike uh, Mike Lindell, the founder of My Pillow, had his phone taken by the FBI mm-hmm. just a few days ago. The F- the uh, Facebook also has been searching people's private messages on behalf of the st- of the feds. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. um the um, what is it the there's a there's a, there was a gun uh, some sort of what was it I think it was California passed some sort of gun law 
uh, which I want to say, I don't know, some creates sort of creates some sort of pseudo database, but um, that's a kind of another example. Of Are you talking about the uh, payments database where uh, Visa, Mastercard, Visa, and Mastercard? Yeah, I'm sorry, it wasn't a law. It was it was a, a voluntary thing. They're trying to get something done through the court system, and of course, that's brutally slow. Meanwhile, they're imaging tens of thousands of people's uh, devices over the years, and not just collecting a solo image and storing it somewhere. They're putting it into a searchable database and this is the most recent information that has come out about this very recently according to msn.com with you know all these devices that they've been searching are now available with a simple tool apparently that the bureaucrats can use and you know run a search for chris's name across every single device they've ever confiscated in theory mm-hmm. yep when asked about the fourth amendment uh implications of this the border patrol said well you can fool some of the people all of the time and you can fool all of the people some of the time and generally that's sufficient they declined of course <laughs> to answer questions about how many americans phone records are in the database and how many searches have been run or how long the practice has gone on saying it has made no additional statistics available quote due to law enforcement sensitivities and national security implications unquote <laughs> So we know they, they have. They don't want you to know what's happening. Yeah, they, we know they have the technology, but they're not talking about how they're using it. A 2018 CPB directive establishing rules for those searches said officers should only retain information relating to immigration, customs, or quote other enforcement matters unquote <laughs> unless they have probable cause that could justify saving more of the phone's contents. In the briefing this summer. CPB officials, however, said their default configuration for some of the searches had been to download and retain all contact lists, call logs, and messages, according to the aide for Ron Wyden, who was a senator that revealed this. Uh, CPB officials retain people's phone data in a small fraction of searches and only when, quote-unquote, absolutely necessary. You believe that? Yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> well, I, I don't think they... I think they generally think it's absolutely necessary Every to steal time, any right? bit of data that they possibly can from yeah. you. So according to the story here at MSN, again, they've conducted roughly 37,000 searches of Traveler's device in just the year ending in October of 2021. So we don't have the most recent year yet. According to agency data, and more than 179 million people traveled that year through U.S. ports of entry. The agency has not given a precise number of how many of those devices had their contents uploaded to the database for long-term review. The aide at the Wyden office was told 2,700 Department of Homeland Security officials have access to the data. Bowker said the number is incorrect and that 5% of CPB's 60,000 employee operational workforce or 3,000 officials is given access. He said those authorized officials are trained, audited, and supervised. Don't worry. They're watching the watchers. You can trust them. Hmm. They're going to be totally cool with your data. These are the guys who have been promoted from the time that they were looking at your uh, naked body mm-hmm. scanner picture. I was going right. to say, um, I recall a story about, uh, was I think it was TSA officers sharing around uh, naked photos, naked photos of, uh, of, of the and those photos supposedly weren't. It wasn't even possible, according to them, right. of existing because there was no like storage or something. Yeah, and yet they figured out a way. <laughs> yeah, they were maybe being they sure. have cameras on their phones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the level of data access they say is appropriate given the size of the task. Bowker had said no other government agency has direct access to his data, but that officials can request information on a case by case basis. And they go on to, you know, make more uh, excuses here. CPB officials have relied on that exception, on an exception here. Courts have granted an exception to border authorities because uh, normally law enforcement would have to show probable cause and get a search warrant before being able to seize and search your phone, which again is what happened with Mike Lindell just a few days ago. He was inside the United States. FBI stopped him, issued a warrant, and took his phone from him. So, I mean, it's not that hard to get a judge to say no, it's yes not. to these things. I mean, the rubber, no, the but, warrants are, or warrants and subpoenas, they're basically rubber stamped by a judge. It's not like they decline right. them. They're, they're, it's, it's basically automatic. Yeah. I mean, the idea that mm-hmm. it's, you know, they want you to think that, it, like, the, the law enforcement agency, they want you to think it's really hard to get no. a, you know, no, it's not. It's, it's super they come, simple. They ask, they get. Yeah. The FISA court they has just don't have, turned have down some of the one or two out of thousands mm-hmm. of requests they have got. Yeah. It was probably one for uh, Epstein. Now, they want you to consent. 
They want you to unlock the device. They want you to use the fingerprint. They want you to put the code in and then just hand it over to them so they can do what they call a manual search. The claim here, according to MSN.com... And just for the record, you should not have fingerprint scanners uh, enabled on your phone Mm -hmm. because although they cannot uh, torture your... um, your password out of you that we know of outside of Guantanamo Bay, um, they can force you to unlock a device with biometric information. Yes, they can. So I've even heard of a story where they didn't, mm -hmm. quote-unquote, force the person, but they went to them while they were asleep in their cell and used their hand while they were sleeping to unlock the device. That is, just, I would call that forcing them, but yeah, yeah I see what you mean. Yeah. It's, it's still uh, forced, <laughs> no doubt, but um, not in the yeah, way you would yeah. think. And yeah, if th- you're using facial recognition, you're screwed. They'll just hold the phone right mm-hmm. up in front of your face while you're handcuffed. Yep. Right. Take a picture. Yep. Um, the other thing that you want to make sure you do is you don't just have a pin on your phone, but you actually have the an actual password with letters yeah mm-hmm. letters numbers characters yeah. different types of characters and make sure it's long enough you know because mm-hmm. they can brute force the pin right saying, right. right if it's mm-hmm. you definitely want it to be more than 12 but something closer to 20 is probably better and then of course if you're about to go across the border turn your phone off because it won't necessarily stop them from imaging the phone if it's not off encryption mm-hmm. only works when it's off <laughs> right it's good so point. uh in a 2018 filing cpb officer said they can access any device, including cases where they have no suspicion the traveler has done anything wrong, and look at anything that would, quote, ordinarily be visible by scrolling through the phone manually. This is what they call the basic search, including contact lists, calendar entries, messages, photos, and videos. If officers have a, quote, reasonable suspicion, unquote, the traveler is breaking the law or poses a national security concern, they can then run an advanced search, connecting the phone to a device that copies its contents. That data is then stored in the automated targeting system database, which CPB officials can search at any time. And that, again, includes phones that are encrypted because then they can just copy the encrypted data and then work, you know, set their agents to the task of trying to break the encryption. Whether they will be successful or not, you'll never know. They're not going to send you a letter letting you know that uh, they've now got (laughs) access to your stuff. How can anyone expect the courts are going to somehow save us from this? You know, I have to say there there may be a benefit there if they try to use it against you in court mm-hmm. later but as far as, as stopping gathering it, info yeah but it. as far as stopping it at the border you're right it doesn't sound like it stopped in a follow-up last year the inspector general's office said the agency was continuing to quote experience challenges unquote and susp- sufficiently managing searches of the phones and they're working to address the issues the advanced search program started in 2007 as a project known as document and media exploitation has now expanded to cover more than 130 ports of entry, according to the Inspector General's office. So they have these devices that can image your phone, it sounds like, at a lot of different places. CPB over the years referred information from people's devices to ICE and local police agencies and the FBI for further investigation. They give travelers a printed document saying the searches are mandatory, but the document doesn't mention the data can be retained for 15 years and that thousands of officials will have access to it. They're also not required to give the document to travelers before the search, meaning that some travelers may not fully understand their rights to refuse the search until after they've handed over their phones. CPV officials didn't say which technology they use to capture data from phones and laptops, but federal documents show the agency has previously used forensic tools made by companies such as Celebrite and GrayShift to access devices and yeah. extract their content. You know, I think the thing, key thing to remember is you never have to consent, right? That's right. You can refuse to consent as long as you don't prevent them from taking something, that's the thing, right? That's a, it's it's mm. they. I mean, sure, they can charge you anytime they want with anything you haven't done. But as far as when it comes to court, you know, if if you haven't prevented them from taking your phone, there's not going to be some sort of I don't know if they would call it disorderly or what or um, hindrance of an investigation. Yeah, obstruction. The, right, obstruction. Yeah, that's probably what it would be. Um, but they won't be able to stop that more than likely. They or use that against you mm-hmm. in an obstruction charge as long as you didn't prevent them from taking it. But right. certainly they can't um you know re- refusing to consent, that's never going to be able to be usable against you. In fact, you don't even have to talk to them. That's true. You really don't. Yeah. 
uh, that's important uh, to remember that. Anytime you're dealing with law enforcement in the United States, you know you have the right to remain silent. Now, they don't have to tell you that, because remember, there was just a Supreme Court case that repealed the mandatory uh, Miranda rights yeah. ratings. So they don't have to inform you of your rights unless there's some sort of state law you, that would You should it. invoke. You may lose them, too, if you don't invoke your right to remain silent. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing to remember. Invoke your right to remain silent and ask if you can go. That's the other thing that's important. What can you do about this? What are some steps that you can take if you're going to be traveling internationally? And again, this could include people that are simply traveling across the U.S., Canadian, or Mexican uh, borders. So keep that in mind as well. You can uh, protect yourself in a variety of ways. One is by just leaving certain devices at home. If you don't need it on your trip, go ahead and leave it at home. If you do need to have a device with you, I mean, obviously people feel like they need to have a phone to be able to call home or whatever if something goes wrong. Make sure you're taking a device that is maybe new or clean, that doesn't have uh, you know years of your usage history on it. As you pointed out, Chris, deleting files from a phone or a laptop doesn't make them go away. Nope. There's uh, undelete programs that these uh, these people can run to just basically take the files right back. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. in imaging a, a disk, it's not it's 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 a, a bit for bit image doesn't just copy the files. That's the problem. There's mm-hmm. something called slack space and free space, and all of that gets copied too. And that space can previously contained data that you deleted. So, including full files or at least partial uh, right full or files. partial files yeah and they definitely will you and actually that's kind of concerning um they will use that data which is often corrupted or um may not show the full picture mm-hmm. so and I, the best example I, I have is i think from the 90s where there was some sort of murder that occurred and basically they got they had no evidence they had no real evidence on this guy but um they they took basically they said it was they took um something from i think it was like a swap file and basically it's it's just random kind of bits of memory and in there apparently he searched for uh how to kill well the problem with this is that yes he may have searched for how to kill but you don't know if he searched for how to kill a mockingbird or mm-hmm. you know how to how to kill so- like actually how to kill right. somebody it's not conclusive right it's not conclusive but they convicted the guy on wow. how to kill roaches and, right exactly and um because it doesn't necessarily have the whole contents of what was searched for it just has partial right. partial so it can be misleading and um but this is why this is why it's you know it's very i i'm i'm very skeptical of forensics i've had you know forensic i've taken forensics like classes mm. in in, in uh, college and things of that nature and i have a good idea how this stuff works but at a very low level and it's you can't trust it you can't rely on it and yet they they bring they these will. computer forensics experts into court as if they're you know all-knowing and they can you know say stuff with sure. absolute certainty and often they don't they get it wrong I went through it, uh, and it was it was pretty awful. They you're gonna miss your flight almost certainly, uh, you know, because usually you're in a hurry, right? Like usually you're in an airport and you're trying to get from one uh, plane to the next or whatever, and they know that, and there's not a whole lot of time in a lot of cases to do that, and so you know they sat me in a room for three hours. Wow. I was waiting for at least I don't know probably an hour or two, uh, probably two hours before they even came to see me. Yeah, for the I mean, it's it's such wow. a and, and in your case in particular, it, it was a targeted attack for political reasons. Sure, um, of course it was. It, it, yeah, I'm sure that's what it um, is for most for most people. I mean, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if it is is that for most people or not. But certainly, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be too hard to believe if it was. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Just because you know, tens of thousands of people is still a small number relative to the number of people yeah. flying, but it's not like they're going to have time to, time and energy to search Epstein when you know there might be a Trump voter they could search. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. All right. So in other tech news, Chris, you've been paying attention to the IPTV situation. But first, before we get into the news, you're going to have to define what that is. Because, I mean, people know what satellite television is. They know what cable television is. They know what the yeah. streaming services so are. IPTV is just it's just it's a it's a protocol, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, it's Internet uh, Protocol TV, I believe, is what it stands for specifically. So, it you know, it's what's behind every you know every box that has any kind of streaming content basically okay um is it behind this video stream that we have right now on odyssey 
Yeah, that's a good question. Or is it something um, different. I, you know, it's. I don't think it's necessarily RTMP. Yeah, I, I, I don't think. think it's necessarily yeah. one specific protocol. Really, mm-hmm. I. It's. It's a good question. IPTV um, it, it, it is more, more of a concept. Yeah, I think it's more of a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, not really a specific protocol. I know is I said idea, that a second is, ago, but is the idea it's just simply another way to deliver live television? Is that what we're talking? Yeah, about Yeah. So I, mm-hmm. it would potentially even include back in the day when you had um, cable companies delivering individual streams. Uh, for like programs, I think that would be included as well, like to, directly to your television. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if you bought a movie, you went and you clicked on like like maybe at a hotel or something. Pay like per view, yeah, pay per view. Click pay per view, mm-hmm. it would stream it. And I think that might even have been included technically in 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 the could be you know term IPTV. One of the reasons we have uh, an independence drive in New Hampshire is because of the federal attack on a Manchester-based alternative to YouTube. Uh, called library yeah and uh they you know sometimes they get kind of shoved into the background uh in our discussions um because so many other <laughs> terrible things have happened <laughs> with the federal government but um the uh, they've released a statement today uh and i wanted to read it on the air at least part of it oh please uh, as you as you may be aware, so the federal government is shaking them down for $2 million, claiming that their alternative to YouTube has issued a cryptocurrency, which is a security. Uh, I didn't know that the feds had demanded a specific amount. Is that news? Is that like, is that what they're pointing out in this post? Is that they're now demanding something? Because I thought they were just trying to, you know, categorize them as a security and then make them spend God knows how much money to try to fight them. That's the most recent number I've heard that the federal government was demanding. And I, I heard that a long time ago. Okay. So maybe I'm misremembering, but mm. I don't think so. Uh, and the number may have changed since then. Mm. Um, but yeah, li- library has been in and out of court for a while. Uh, And and they released a statement recently that says, quote, the SEC admitted that many, if not most, people buy LBC to use it, unquote. LBC is the token that they issue, the library token. Uh, You get free LBC if you if you like transfer your YouTube or you copy your YouTube channel on the library and they'll copy it for you. Right. They give you the service and they pay you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, uh, I, I was looking at they had like uh, what do you call it? They they had like a timeline of the important things that have happened with the development of Library and Odyssey, which is kind of like a sister company that uses some of the LBRY technology, but also has some centralized uh, tech as well to serve out videos faster. Uh, anyway, they were talking about some of the things they've done, and one of the things they've done is they've actually lowered the bar. So it used to be that you, if you had a YouTube channel that you wanted them to copy over to the library or slash Odyssey service, you had to have a certain minimum number of subscribers to that channel, and they've lowered that minimum. Now, I don't know what it has been lowered to, but it wasn't particularly high to begin with. I think it was like 100 or 300, so they've they've made that number even lower than before. So So if you had gone to odyssey to see if you could import your youtube channel and you had a a, too small of a channel for them to do it you might want to try it again they may now be able to import your channel which they might not have before so they've they've lowered that bar and i I think that's good because it's going to be more inclusive it's going to encourage more smaller creators to come over and just get their feet wet and get started on libraries so just wanted to put that out there it's lbry.com go ahead with uh, more on the, the news there ridley The rest of their statement, quote, the SEC then said that if 9,999,999 people bought LBC to use it and one person bought it as an investment, it would still be a security. (laughs) Make no mistake, the SEC is out to destroy, out to destroy the free exchange of cryptocurrency. Yes, they are. Okay, okay, I, I got to get this straight. Okay, so if I sell Wi-Fi adapters and 99.9% of people use them for, like, you know, connecting to the internet, but one person buys them as an investment, mm-hmm. right? Does that make it a security with those Wi-Fi adapters, Great all question. those other people that bought them? Hopefully the SEC you know, isn't no, listening I mean, right this now. is that just sounds crazy. I'm not exactly the wolf of Wall Street here, but I can tell you that the difference between a security and property or assets is um, that a security is basically something that's easier for the creator to manipulate later. Does that make sense? Uh, and property is something that's kind of its own separate, you know, non-manipulatable thing. 
Uh, I think a security, and, uh, and again, I'm, I'm like you, Ridley, I'm not an investor type or whatever, so I, I, I'm sure I don't know the ins and outs of all of it. But as I understand the security from what we've looked before, you know, it has to do with whether or not the company succeeds, right? So you're investing into a, a larger picture of a thing that could fail and it could succeed. Yeah, the- it's supposed to be like a proxy for ownership of the company, mm. but yet the SEC acknowledges that library doesn't fit any of the definitions of uh, of security that we've read, and nonetheless, they want to treat it, it as a it security. Gets, it gets even more messed up because there's actual investors in library, the company. So that's right. Like that makes no sense. But library, the company, but is the, different yeah. from the. The protocol, the tokens, like yeah. any other yeah, right, company, right, right, if you've true. actually bought an ownership position in library, of the company, you've got shares of stock, right? Not uh, instances of uh, of of LBRY coin. Are stocks securities? Uh, stocks are securities. Okay. okay. But LBRY is just a token that you can, or the LBC, sorry, uh, LBC, which is the token that yep. you use on LBRY. That's just essentially. The thing that makes the system go. If you want to yeah, upload, it's what a they video, call a utility token. Yeah. Yep. If you want to upload a video to Odyssey or Library, you got to pay in LBC to do that. It, and it's it's even more uh, interesting because there's multiple applications, not all developed by Library, the company, mm-hmm. on the Library blockchain. S- blockchain, yeah. Um, and Odyssey is just an example of right. one of the applications on the Odyssey blockchain. And there's, I think, I think if I recall correctly, in court they said something like twenty or so other uh, applications, you know, developed by others using the library, uh, you know, blockchain. Ridley, yeah, quote unquote. If one person bought it as an investment, it would still be a security. <laughs> so they're, they're saying. That I mean, assuming this library, uh, you know, uh, message is correct, the feds are saying that the library is responsible for what every single person who buys an LBC does. So it's a, not it's just for what they do, but for what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. Yes, what they're thinking. How could they know? How can they possibly? These fed grifters are taking the only part of the economy that's working, the Bitcoin economy, mm-hmm. you know, the crypto economy, and they're just trying to tear it down. Uh, yep. And it, you know, we're, we're walking with history here. This is the kind of thing that happened in Slovenia, if, you, if you're familiar with the, the Mladina incident in 1990, where the Yugoslav government came mm-hmm. after people who were just spreading information, right? They were reporters for the Mladina newspaper. And uh, they arrested four journalists. And you know what? A year later, Slovenia was independent. Ridley, do you uh, have more to say? No, that's it. Thanks for the call, man. I appreciate it. This is Dave Ridley from RidleyReport.com. Uh, yeah, if you're not following Library LBRY on social media, I highly recommend it. They're making some really interesting points, and they're in a really outrageous fight with the federal gang. Uh, and it's not just them, by the way, the feds are going after. They're going after a lot of people. More coming. It's Free Talk Live, and you can join the show here and bring in whatever you want. The number is 603-283-6160. 603-283-6160. Joining you in the studio tonight, you've got Ian. Sorry, nobody. Try that one more time. Nobody. That's working. And Chris. Uh, and you can take control of the airwaves here if you don't want to talk about the attack on cryptocurrency. Library is currently under fire from the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. They're also going after Ripple, which is one of the other largest uh, cryptocurrencies in the game right now. And the theory is they may be targeting Ethereum next, which is currently the second largest cryptocurrency by market cap. And this week, Ethereum made a, a much... Uh, a weighted change. They've been talking for years about this, and they finally pulled the switch, and they did it. Uh, they moved Ethereum from what you call proof-of-work to proof-of-stake. And without getting into the the weeds about the differences between those, Bitcoin is the original proof-of-work cryptocurrency. 
And it has to do with running mining operations that use a lot of energy and uh, they take a lot of computer time to come up with mathematical you know, solutions to very complex problems in order to uh, win this mining reward that results in writing all these transactions to the blockchain. It's kind of a rough way of describing mm -hmm. it. But, uh, but it does require what they call work. That's that computing time, cranking away at these these problems. And, and one uh, computer gets to solve the problem every 10 minutes, and then a block is mined to the blockchain. And the important thing about it is it depends on the idea that they're using like a percentage of all the computing power in the world. So you can't possibly put together enough machines to outcompete them or outhash them. And the problem with that, of course, is that it means you need a lot of computers and you need a lot of energy to implement that scheme. Right. And then proof of stake, I don't know as much about, but I understand that basically staking is where you take an existing amount of uh, co coins or tokens or whatever we're talking about. So in this case, it would be Ether, which is the, the coin of Ethereum. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you stake those uh, those coins, which means you're not using them. You're just holding them basically in a cold storage, mm -hmm. essentially. And if you've staked it, then you've sort of got a stake in the network, so to speak, and you're somehow helping. I'm not sure exactly how all that works because you don't have traditional miners when it comes to proof of stake. But they basically reward people for locking up their currency. They reward mm. these stakers with newly generated ether, as I understand it. And I think the idea behind proof of stake is that, well, if you've got a bunch of locked ethereum then you become trustworthy to the system mm -hmm. because more or less your ethereum is held hostage so if you destroy the value of it you won't be able to cash it out for as much well plus if it's locked up then that means you're not using it and so it restricts the amount of supply correct uh yeah it also would lock some uh, liquidity into the system i mean what you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of thinking about this for a second. What what I mean when somebody does want to have sell you know sell I guess their their Ethereum or whatever, wouldn't that then have a uh, like a negative impact? Or if, if enough people wanted to sell their Ethereum, a negative impact on the system? Uh, well, I mean they would unlock it. So basically, um, you know they would they would it would be slightly inflationary. Okay. Uh, because there would be more right, right. That's suddenly what I there would be more coin available out in the world of the system as well, opposed yeah. to mm. lockdown. I mean, anytime you've got a bunch of people that want to sell the thing, you're going to see prices going down. Right, 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 that's, right. That's generally going to be what happens. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how this goes because now they're predicting that because Ether or Ethereum has switched from proof of work to proof of stake, which is the largest such change to ever happen in the history of cryptocurrency. Because, again, this is the number two crypto. Uh, it's it's huge. And uh, they're saying that now the SEC may be targeting Ethereum coming soon. This may have been the suicide of, of, hmm. uh, of Ethereum to let... Uh, to let the SEC shut down a coin, you know, it's, there's no telling. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I have been kind of keeping an eye on the Ethereum price just to see if it's done anything of significance, I mean, and it really hasn't. Why? So I mean, far. why would they think they could shut it down in the first place? It's not like a central. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not centralized. So it, just because they outlawed in the United States doesn't mean somebody overseas wouldn't necessarily have it. Well, they do the same thing they normally do, which is go after uh, the key players, right? They'll come after mm. Vitalik, the mm. guy that created Ethereum. They'll come after anybody else that can get their hands on any of the programmers, uh, and they'll do what they can. I mean, they, you're right. They ultimately cannot stop it in the same way that they won't be able to stop library if they even if they dismantle the library corporation and they put Jeremy Kaufman behind bars, which they're not talking about doing they're just trying to destroy his business civil, a civil case uh, it is. yeah so they you know they uh, even if they destroy his business that doesn't stop the blockchain from operating it doesn't stop anybody from spinning up their own copy of the software it's open source so you know there's no reason why library will ce will cease to exist yeah i don't know if uh there are those who say that a pos coin or proof of, proof stake. of stake coin is 
more centralized. I don't know how the mining works on a on a proof of uh, stake coin. I so, think it's just programming. It's not. There's no miners, are there? I don't think there yeah. are. It's just like you get- so. So the question is, I guess, what machines is the system running on, and is it more centralized mm-hmm. than a uh, proof of work coin? That's an excellent it question. Might be. It yeah, may depend on the we, distribution <laughs> of the, the coins. Um, right? If if a bunch of if there's only I a would imagine. Of people I mean, somebody's have, mining it. There have to be miners because somebody's somebody's actually it. maintaining mm. the data of right. how much is in your wallet. Um, well, isn't it possible that that can be done by the full node software in that case? Because you aren't you don't need special graphics cards or whatever to. Yeah, it's possible. The big thing that you wouldn't be doing is the uh, is the constant hashing mm-hmm. to look for you know a sufficiently um, yeah. a s- sufficiently cool solution to a problem. It was the tenth anniversary of the uh, victimless crime spree theatrical presentation which i believe you attended nobody oh, yeah, many, many years ago uh we had about 50 people show up for uh it was early in the morning it was like 9 45 in was the that morning like 2018 10 years ago would have been t- oh, 10 years ago okay the original yeah. the original showing <laughs> yeah. because there was another showing years later yeah um, you're talking about the five-year anniversary yeah yeah i was at that yeah. So. That was out on the seacoast yeah. uh, when that one happened. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to do something for the 10-year. Um, it's just the whole FBI mm, thing kind of yeah, out of the way. Yeah. It's kind of hard mm. to do anything new when you've got yeah. you know, a bunch of charges you're it, facing. Plus, Derek J is no longer in the country. It's so it's definitely like, one of the best uh, liberty-oriented you know, uh, move, move documentaries, I guess, that have come out yeah. of the Free State Project. It was the first um, one, too. Now, there was a different one called Libertopia. That was made about free staters, but I, that wasn't made by a free state. Yeah, I, I think we're going to have some documentaries coming out about the Free State Project that are yep. really impressive. Free State is looking good. Um, yep, that was definitely amazing. Um, but, uh, you know, up to this point, there's been a number of them, and I definitely think Derek Jay's Victim of Crime Spree has been the best. Um, there's nothing like it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just... really, really amazing. Uh, the Free State, what is the one? There's the There's the one that they're working on right now. And I believe it's called Free State. Yeah, it's at Free State Doc on Twitter, and their website is freestatedoc.com, freestatedoc.com. That oh, one looks really good. I believe they're yeah. raising money. Correct. Um, they're yeah. doing a fundraiser, and there's already a teaser trailer for that documentary. Yes. Um, and, and it looks great. It's, it's it looks just, great. Just, see, just watching the documentary in and of itself is as super entertaining it's it it's a great documentary uh teaser you mean the teaser yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i um, think it's gonna so be good even if you even if you don't donate it's it's worth checking that out uh there's also of course the 101 reasons liberty lives in new hampshire which was released in 2014 so it's getting a little on the old side i've heard rumors that somebody is working on an updated 101 reasons to move to new hampshire they're going to do mm. the the text version first because that's what happened originally there was a a text file or a sure, pdf sure. of the 101 reasons why libertarians should migrate to new hampshire that's what convinced people to choose new hampshire i uh, i still can't believe that's what ch- that's convinced people to move to new hampshire really? i I thought the Derek J's Victimless Crimes Free was a thousand times better than... Oh, well, you know that than... the 101 Reasons was created in, like, 2002, right? The thing that I liked about Alaska is you can still homestead land there, mm. um, which you can't do anywhere else in America. It's got the remote um, aspect, too. It's already disconnected from the U.S. Mm, it's, one of yeah. the, it's one of the newer states, the two most recent uh, oh. states. And so there's already a sort of an independence movement there. There's an independence mindset, from what I understand, in Alaska. Mm-hmm. But on the downside, it's effing huge. Yeah. yeah that's the thing <laughs> I didn't like about it, which is... And cold. You know, if I've got a social circle of 20,000 people, I want them to be in a relatively small area. And so if you that think I it's dark here... I, I was going to say, you know, we get, we get enough time. complaints about it here, yeah. you know, being cold. And yeah. it's like, it's not that bad, people. No. Like... Like, I mean, seriously, you know, learn to use a thermostat, throw on a layer or two of, learn how to layer your clothing, you know, light clothing, layer up a couple layers and you'll be fine. It's, but Alaska, that's a whole nother, uh, that's a whole nother story. So if you haven't seen Derek J's Victimless Crime Spree, I recommend it. Go to victimlesscrimespree.com. It's a lot of fun to watch this movie, especially with a group of people. 
Uh, it's all about our friend Derek J. Freeman, former co-host here on Free Talk Live. One of the best, in my opinion, uh, co-hosts we've we've ever had. He was really fun uh, to do radio show with. But he was arrested five times in one year, and it all got caught on video. So we decided, you know what? This is all so ridiculous and outrageous, it would make a great movie. And it turns out it did make a great movie. There's uh, multiple versions available online. There's the original theatrical release version. There's a director's cut. Uh, the director's cut has a few changed scenes, a little bit more footage. Not much. It's not, not, there's not a whole lot of changes to the, to the footage. But there's the most important thing about the director's cut is it has royalty-free music in it. The theatrical version has copyrighted music in it and so if you want to ever display the movie like legally or whatever if you want to put it on you know the local public access television station or charge people to come see it in a movie theater or something you don't want to play the one that has the copyrighted music in it because you could cross the wrong people uh but if you that's an aspect i didn't know about yeah if you play the one that's the director's cut then you'll be be safe because it's royalty free music and in my opinion i think it works just as well if not better uh, in the director's cut. So check that, check those out. Uh, VictimlessCrimeSpree.com. It's now on Odyssey, by the way. So you can watch Victimless oh, Crime Spree on Odyssey. You don't have to go to YouTube uh, to do it anymore. And DVDs are still out there. I think Conan is still selling the director's cut DVD. Is he? Very rarely. Like, no, <laughs> people don't buy DVDs anymore for the most part. So we've got a few, you know couple shelves of discs that are I, probably never going to get sold. I bought, I, I bought a copy years and years ago. It was probably five years ago. Yeah, did you ever play it? Uh, no. I was very sorry to hear about Arya taking a plea deal, but, mm. uh, you know, such as the breaks, and I'll hope that she doesn't get any jail time, but yeah. I guess that leaves us down to one. It's going to be you, Ian, so... That's, <laughs> you don't, that's how it looks. Now, yeah. Last yeah, man standing. I know, and I, I hope you don't take a plea deal. I'm going to be very mad at you if you do. I have <laughs> no intention of uh, of doing that. I can't even see okay, well, Ian taking a plea deal. Like <laughs> after all these years, well, man. I have to say he has balls of steel. He does. Because, you know, I would have to say, you know, like I mean, I can't imagine putting James, my husband, through something like that. You know, just because I was long time ago, I was indicted for money laundering. Mm. Um, and it was a very stressful thing. And I, I can understand, you know, like I almost took a plea deal, but my lawyer, I had a very good lawyer. He said, this case is BS. There's no reason judge is going to laugh at the prosecutor and find no probable cause. And he was right. And oh, so you never even made it to a jury. And nice. Never, never even made it past a per judge in the preliminary hearing. They dropped the, they dropped the charges, and I had got the record expunged, the arrest expunged. So it's like yeah, I wish my case was happened. that easy. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm facing like 25 charges. You know. Oh yeah. I, I you know, I love you, Ann. Uh, you know, it's you, you're, you're, uh, it's, it's like you got a grin going through the whole thing, and it's like you don't even have an actual grin on your face. But like everybody, the judge can, even yelled every, at me for it. Right, right. Like the judge yeah. yells at you for grinning, and you you're not grinning, and it's yeah. like, it, it just you know they really hate you. <laughs> they do, they do. Uh, what, what's, uh, what do you always say? If you're not having fun, you're not you're not doing it right, or something like true. that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm. I don't have any regrets about paying a thousand dollars to Rich Paul to his what is the government claiming a fraudulent church of the Shire Free Church hand whatever. Uh, uh, to make it's a church of the invisible hand. A church of the invisible hand. And Which you can find I, at invisiblehand.church. Yes. You know, I just, I thought it would be, you know, um, well, I was hoping there'd be a, like uh, more than one of you just they're sitting there at the defendant's table. And uh, I hope you're going to take the, you know, most lawyers will tell you don't take the witness stand in your own defense because you're subject to cross-examination. Mm-hmm. But I hope you and Mark Sisti both agree that you know you should take the witness stand and just say ladies and gentlemen of the jury i didn't do anything wrong you know what we never talk about i, I feel i don't know why we never talk about this but the the tactics the like just the absolutely disgusting tactics and the games uh you know that these prosecutors and these courts play yeah uh, you know, yeah. with with defendants, with and, people's lives. Yeah, and most people yeah. aren't aware paid. of this. You know, I like to remind people they get paid. Whether you know, like, so it's like no skin off their nose. If you're found innocent, they still collect their big paychecks and sure go home yeah. and probably lead a very, very like that's what irks me is these government employees make three or four times what I make, 
in the private sector. Right. Oh, by the way, I have a job finally. Nice. Uh, even they, they said, yeah, we don't mind if you smoke cannabis. Just don't show up to work high and cool. we'll be grave. What are you doing, if you want to say? Oh, sure. It's uh, shipping and receiving at a golf company. I oh, wow. I won't go on too much because I don't want – I know you have a thing about advertising on the air. But, yeah, it's just some golf technology company, and they okay. – I'm in the shipping and receiving department, so we got uh, like 300 e-commerce orders over the weekend. And, and you got to fill them. Yep, I got to right. pack them and pick them and fill them. And you know, there were 300 packages waiting for the post lady when she pulled up with mm. her big truck. And mm. well, uh, have you followed the Doctor Bitcoin case at all? Uh, I have not followed the Dr. Bitcoin case. Yeah, you might want to look at it. We we talked about it a couple of days ago on uh, Free Talk Live. Maybe it was, yeah, I think it was two days ago. Um, but uh, he's he was somebody who was an early adopter of cryptocurrency, like went back to 2011, and he sort of created this personality called Dr. Bitcoin. And I think he was a maximalist, but I don't really know a whole lot about his, uh, his history. He popped up on my radar a couple weeks ago when I saw uh, that he was checking into a uh, federal prison for a 15-month sentence for operating an unlicensed money transmitter, to which he pled guilty – uh, after they threatened, you talk about their, their tactics, Chris, oh, yeah. after they threatened his wife, uh, you know, even though he had gone and he had registered with FinCEN, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, he had their little, you know, money services business registration, which they say is all important. Well, then he also went to this Texas state government and said, all right, what do I need to do to register for this? And the Texas government said, nothing, you don't have to. The federal FBI was here in Albuquerque. Oh, I'm so sorry. Major sweep. So they did a, a fentanyl roundup, and it was the biggest um, the raid ever in history of Albuquerque, I think. Oh. You were, and you were so, involved in this? <laughs> no, I mean, no, Albuquerque was. But uh, Aren't you in Albuquerque? I'm just major. She is, yeah. So you, yeah, so, uh, so are you saying that they made a whole bunch of arrests? Is that what happened? Yeah, and then confiscated fentanyl, and they mm-hmm. made a lot of arrests. And um, Albuquerque has always been this dope town ever since the uh, 1970s dope town? or so. Yeah, it's always been this uh, the I forty, the I twenty five coming up from Mexico, mm-hmm. and. Uh, well, and then people don't have much money, so why are they doing so much drugs? That's what's perplexing. Is that really confusing to you? Well, it's it's not as expensive as uh, actually getting medical care because the government tries to get in your way, but they don't get in your way nearly as effectively as they would if you were buying insulin. Um <laughs> Yeah, so it's always been the problem. So, but, but I think the article has like they're up in the middle when they get um got I, I don't know millions of dollars worth of fentanyl. I mean, we're not talking about just a couple of hours. I mean, they just did a massive raid. So, which is good. You think this and, is going to do something? Well, um. I don't know about doing something, but at least did we make the national news? So, I do you support this? A, <laughs> I, I, I do support it. I, I think that there's less drugs on the street, less murder. I think that all the murder on homicide is drug related. When have always- drug arrests resulted in any permanent changes to the amount of drugs on the streets? I understand mm. that taking some product away in the immediate short term may have a slight impact. Uh, but more product will come in because people are demanding it. You understand? I mean, I don't expect you to understand the laws, uh, the economics of supply and demand, Sarah. You don't get that, right? But not really, but I'm just okay. glad they flushed everybody out. Let me explain it to you before early. before we go on. So, if there's demand, someone, even though it's illegal, is going to take the risk. To bring a supply to those people who are demanding that product. Prohibition was the worst crime spree in American history until the drug war came along and said, hold my beer, mm-hmm. Prohibition. And uh, But yet, since they've legalized alcohol, there hasn't been a single incident where an executive at Bacardi has had an executive at Seagram's whacked. 
Nothing you know, yeah. because the thing that gets people killed isn't the drug; it's the drug law. Yep. But go ahead. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, um, I could kind of like makes um sense, but the yeah, it it actually sounded like you were listening to that, Sarah. <laughs> That's a surprise. Well, it sounds kind of sounds kind of good. Aren't aren't there um drugs that are legal legal in Netherlands or something that pot smoking and then they have places where you could do drugs yeah yes even mushrooms are tolerated in the netherlands and they've decriminalized everything in portugal and now oregon and and oregon Mm. okay yeah well i know the the portuguese experiment went very well i don't know what's happened in oregon oregon's too new to really to really get any good statistics out of uh but they were influenced by uh by portugal that was one of the you know the the reasons why they went ahead with it uh, in Oregon. So, uh, so unfortunately, the the war on drugs, uh, well, fortunately or unfortunately, it, it didn't work, right? Like it's it's cost billions of dollars, uh, tens of billions probably of dollars, maybe even more than that. God knows how many t- hundreds. I don't know. It's trillions. Been, they probably have tens of billions as a yearly budget. So yeah, maybe trillions. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, for as many it, decades as it's been going on now, trillions be, yeah. gotta be. I wrote a report on it when I was in, or actually a a. a a live speech on it when I was taking uh, argumentative speech. I went back to college. This was recently. Uh, yeah, it was like three years ago, and I think the aggregate cost of the war on drugs at that point had been $1.7 billion. <sighs> trillion or billion? Uh, trillion. Trillion, okay. Yeah, and <laughs> that sounds more like the, yeah, that. Uh, <laughs> okay. And okay. when they wow. started at the zero point, something like one. Point two percent of Americans used so-called illicit drugs, right. but once they'd spent their one point eight trillion dollars, one point two percent of Americans did so-called illicit drugs. Right. So they accomplished nothing. absolutely nothing, except for putting, in addition to the money spent, countless lives behind bars and extinguishing mm-hmm. uh, people's lives in drug raids gone wrong. Well, and they did, they did get and something. causing the worst crime rate yes. wave in America. Yeah. They did redistribute money from your wallet into somebody else's. They sure did. You have a caller who calls in semi-regularly, and he's always saying, these people in government, they are no different than any of us. And really, this is all all a myth and all a... Blah, blah, blah. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, you're talking about Jet, uh, and he likes to remind our hosts and our listeners that governments are just people, and they are people yeah. who are – they're different in that they're willing to use violence on their neighbors. So they're they're sick, and they're sociopathic mm-hmm. or psychopathic. So, uh, But they are just people. I think that's what he tries to remind people of. The government is just a body of men, usually notably ungoverned. <laughs> so what about it, Could you? So at one point he had suggested, you know, stop calling these people government. You know, it's giving them legitimacy. You need to use a different term. Yeah. And and I feel like gang was the word that was decided on. Yeah, um, goons, that, plan, uh, des- despots, um, po- uh, tyrants, parasites, mafia, and I, thugs. And, I, and I, um, I've noticed you've... Uh, taking that recommendation and you know you'll say um government gang maybe more often than you would have used it but i think the problem with the word gang is um colloquially it doesn't necessarily have that negative of a Mm. connotation like there's even a podcast Mm. in new hampshire you know puke in the gang and and gang, you know, you can, right. you can call your friends. You can it can be a fun-loving group of friends. Yeah. Sure, that's true. It's you a good call, point. You could call you could call your friends your gang. So I think if we're going to uh, take his suggestion, I mean, I don't really know what a better word would be, but I think it would probably be better to go with maybe like mafia because okay. that still has quite a negative connotation. Well, thug. And, or also, or thugs. also maybe even yep. just to say criminals. 
that could be good. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good suggestions. Thugs, criminals. Uh, we got the list here from from Jet. He sent it to us years ago. And we printed it out on. Uh, it's on the walls. Yeah, so it's still hanging. The uh, the full list would be uh, government people, goons, tyrants, despots, parasites, thugs, mafia, gangs, idiots, liars, thieves, lunatics, killers, or gang members. But I do I do take your point about uh, about the government gang thing. So thank you for that. You just listened to the new extended Free Talk Live Daily Digest. We felt this format was more appropriate for our podcast audience and decided to make it our official podcast. If you subscribe to the Daily Digest or full episode RSS feeds, please resubscribe to the main FTL podcast feed, which you can find at feeds.freetalklive.com. The other feeds rely on a third-party service, and though they'll have the same content, we can't be sure how long they'll stay online. If you still want the entire radio show, you can listen live every night from 7 to 10 Eastern at freetalklive.com. Full video archives are at video.freetalklive.com or tune into our 24-7 stream for the latest show at listen.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live's amps will continue to receive the full two-hour radio show with no recorded commercials via podcast through Patreon. So please join amps.freetalklive.com for just $5 a month. Thank you for listening to and sharing Free Talk Live.